This week's episode is sponsored by Jagged Edge Productions and ITN Studios' Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Only in theaters, March 26th to March 28th. The suspenseful and thrilling sequel to last year's immense hit, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, amplifies the gore factor with ten times the number of kills to put fans both new and old at the edge of their seats. After Christopher Robin reveals their existence, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Tigger, and Owl land on the endangered species list as hard targets. Unwilling to hide in the shadows, the ultimate scream team embarks on a murderous rampage through the town of Ashdown to get their revenge on Christopher Robin, once and for all. So don't miss out, and mark your calendars to catch the limited engagement of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2, only in theaters March 26th to March 28th. Tickets are available now. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. A blessing on this place. This witch's place. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. I'm Trevor. I'm Lauren. And we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 114. Hope you are safe and healthy. It's been an insane time out there. Lots of things canceled or postponed in order to keep you safe and healthy, which is a very good thing. It's also an interesting time to take advantage of things like concerts. Like I just watched a Ben Gibbard live concert on our TV and there's lots of events like that online that's going on. So you guys should look out for things that you might be interested in to take advantage of. Just trying to make this a little bit less crazy and depressing. Didn't John Legend do one too or is he about to? I think he's going to do one. I'm going to watch that one too. I'm going to watch whatever I can. Just to keep myself and our kids busy. It's also really affected film releases and production schedules. Some are kind of in limbo right now, and then some are being pushed to advanced digital and VOD releases with some theaters temporarily closing. As far as horror and genre flicks, I know Birds of Prey is going to be available as of March 24th. Universal is going to be releasing The Hunt and The Invisible Man on VOD Friday, which you must check out. And that movie Emma is coming out as well. Which, that was really fun. I, yeah, Autumn DeWilde did Emma, which is not a horror film by at any, all no but it's got Anna Taylor Joy yes from the witch and it's got Philip from Shaun of the Dead there which you makes go makes everything amazing horror enough and it's Victorian themed so anybody out there you like that aesthetic being a horror fan you're gonna dig Emma, I think. Yeah, and if you have kids, uh, Trolls, the second Trolls movie is gonna come out soon. So look that up. I know my kids are super excited. And there's also so many incredible shows out there to binge. One of those new shows is Motherland Fort Salem that premieres on Freeform this Wednesday night at time of release. It is an awesomely original spin on the witch mythology and the look and feel is amazing and it has plenty of magic and very creepy moments to keep 
keep horror fans indulged. On this episode, we talk to the show's creator, Elliot Lawrence. We get into his love of horror, how he developed this reinvented spin right down to the casting, the powerful imagery, set design, and more. Leo's going to be back for the next episode. We've been setting up a remote solution for that. Some of our upcoming episodes will also be recorded remotely, much like this one. Casting a spell on episode 114 now. This is Elliot Lawrence. Answer the call and listen to the boot group. Witches, you are called to greatness. All of you will serve as soldiers of the United States Army. Fort Salem is a witch's place. Soldier can ask for better sisters. Make me proud. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio is a wonderful screenwriter, producer, and showrunner. His list of accomplishments include 14 episodes of Logo's The Big Gay Sketch Show, 2014's award-winning independent feature Welcome to Me, starring Kristen Wiig. He went on to create the hit TV show Claws for TNT and recently became an important part of the fold for Fox 21 TV Studios and Disney, where he'll be creating, developing, and producing content for all platforms, network, cable, and streaming, which is truly a gift for us as viewers. The president of Fox echoes this sentiment in his statement, there aren't a lot of writers with his range around. Truer words could not have been said. His latest concoction is a phenomenal new show that takes the world of witchcraft and magic and turns it on its head with bold decisions, inventiveness, and it's a testament to wonder and imagination in the purest sense. That show is Motherland for Salem. At time of release, it premieres Wednesday, March 18th on Freeform. Joining us is its creator, Elliot Lawrence. Yeah! Hey, I'm intimidated by myself now. (laughs) I don't know how I'm going to continue with this this interview, but thank you for the kind words. (laughs) Well, thank you for making such an incredible show. And also, thank you for spending some time with us today during what is an insane time in world history. And just off the top, as someone closely involved with studio production, I had heard work on the fourth season of Claws has recently been shut down. What does the yeah. situation look like from your vantage point and how, how are you soldiering on through all this? It's a strange time for sure. We actually started working remotely yesterday on Zoom and it worked pretty well. We're just bewildered. You know, we had so much excitement going up to the premiere. We were going to premiere at South by and, and, and do all of these fun things. And it's a strange time, but I, I really believe in the show and I have kind of a magical hope that people will binge the hell out of it and just get really invested in the world during this weird, weird time. You know, what's interesting is that the new show comes at a very interesting time. It's got a very strong message of hope and togetherness and empowerment, which is definitely all things that we really need right now. And as I said, Lauren and I have been able to watch some episodes. It's amazing. Congrats on this incredible achievement. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. So kind. The subject of witches has been explored through many genres in cinema and TV. From Charmed, there was the fantasy drama Practical Magic, The Craft, Argento Suspiria, and scores of horror films. As we discuss horror on this show quite frequently, are you a fan of the horror genre, and what would be some of your earliest memories of being impacted by it? I adore horror movies. Uh, I, I have since I was a little boy. I probably saw a lot of them way too early. The Shining in particular was like, wow, this reminds me of my childhood. Not that my parents were that horrible, but just that <laughs> sort of creeping sense of of this 
current of weirdness kind of running underneath life was something that I was always aware of and kind of obsessed with. And I, and I try to keep a, a strain of horror running through motherland to the extent that I can. It is a very hopeful show. And, and we definitely made a conscious decision to land the show somewhere between utopia and dystopia, because I think there's been a lot of incredible dystopic TV, but we wanted to distinguish ourselves and have kind of a mixed message there. But, uh, yeah, I, I like I, I like to entertain people and scaring them is part of that. So I always want I always want that to be a part of Motherland too. To prepare us for Motherland, what can you tell viewers about what they'll be seeing in this show and this amazing world that you've created? Well, so we will be diving into a kind of a pocket matriarchy in this alternate America. It's not an America where matriarchy has spread completely and it's not a world where that idea has taken hold, but it's sort of a pocket world within a world. And uh, for the people that are part of this world, the, the rules are very distinct. When you turn 18, you can script in the witch military. And uh, the Spree, who are kind of a terrorist organization in this world, have a big opinion on that. They say conscription is another form of slavery. And it's, you know, unjust for governments to control bodies to that extent. So that's their point of view. But for our main three characters, it's something that they knew was coming. You know, they, they were born to witch lineages. And so they knew this day was coming, but they each have a very distinct point of view about it. Abigail is from this illustrious family of generals and wealth and position and she's kind of an alpha and and for her this is a stepping stone to war college which is a stepping stone to becoming a general like everybody else in her family for rael you know she just lost her mom to combat so she has a massive chip on her shoulder about this whole enterprise and tally tally's kind of like a walking exclamation point like she's so excited about everything and it made me think of a lot of people joining the military after 9-11. You know, she's somebody who has seen these spree attacks that have gotten stranger and more and more disturbing and genuinely wants to do some good. And we will see that naivete tested and hardened in the series. So they each start in a really distinct place and, and hopefully end in a really distinct place. Going back to that lineage and how this whole thing basically began in the seed of the idea. So it was a deal, a pact formed by the U.S. government and witches. Can you explain that a little bit? Sure. It was a little too early for it to genuinely be a U.S. government because, of course, it was still the colonies. But it was a, an agreement that was first made between Sarah Alder, who was one of the Salem witches who was tried and, and decided to fight back instead of allowing herself to be murdered from that deal that was initially made with the Massachusetts Bay Militia. It eventually wound up in the Constitution. But uh, this deal, 327 years ago, defines the life of, of witches and traces witchhood through these matrilineal lines. And uh, it's a pretty big deal if you're a witch. Doing research about witchcraft, is there anything that you discovered that you didn't know before? Well, it's so funny. Early in this process, I, I, a friend of mine knew I was thinking about this stuff and gave me this really, really cool book on witchcraft. And at the very beginning of the book was this insanely enigmatic quote, and I believe it was attributed to the Navajo tribe, which in it said, 
witches are drawn from all nations and speak a common tongue. So after, after the initial idea of, wait, witches and military, wait, they're drafted, wait, they're conscripted, and they learn magic at Fort Salem, came, came this idea that, that witches are, are, like the quote, like that enigmatic quote said, are, are kind of from everywhere and exist in every culture. And it's kind of true if you look at the history of the world and the persecution of sort of otherness and witchcraft. Um, but they also speak a common tongue. And we had the great fortune to work with David Peterson, who, of course, did such beautiful work for Game of Thrones. And he created our witch mother tongue, which was so cool to, to witness and, and also so insanely hard for the actors to learn. It would literally take them four or five hours with a coach just to say a couple of lines. Wow. They made it really Whoa. hard. But it's really pretty. It, it sounds Asian, European, African at once, which is kind of thematic in terms of this omnilinguality that witches share. So it was just a thrill to work with people like him. I just, I love the show so much and it showcases women in power. It flips gender roles. It's led by a female cast and then you've got female directors and you've taken something that history was, you know, that was horrible in history, the Salem witch trials, and you turned it into a positive and then you have witches being respected and honored and put in these very important roles. What did the groundwork look like in terms of making this a feminist show? Well, that's kind of where I always come from. I'm a, I'm a hardcore feminist. I was raised by a feminist mom and I had a very feminist aunt and even my dad is kind of a feminist. So I love this that. Is just the, yes, I'm very lucky in that respect. So this was the world that I was kind of steeped in and, and it's the world that makes me curious too. And, and for Motherland, it was really about taking this idea of a population that has been othered in various ways through history and instead of uh, instead of having them in the shadows, they're kind of front and center. And they're they're also imbued in this series with duty and service and sacrifice and all that stuff we kind of usually reserve for male heroes. So it's just it was really, really fun to kind of be provocative and flip that around. The world building, as as you're talking about, is so rich and you've done such an amazing job crafting this beautiful and really poetic backstory that is so exciting and truly original. How long did this process take for you? How long have you been stewing on this idea and constructing all this stuff? Oh, my goodness. So long. About maybe eight or nine years. I initially, I had been working with um, Gary Sanchez, particularly Kevin Messick and Adam McKay on the movie Welcome to Me. And so I was friends with those guys and I had this idea, again, eight or nine years ago, I walked into their office, pitched it. They loved it. Back then it was kind of the time of, of Hunger Games. So the initial thought was, hey, let's do some novels and let's do some movies. And so I was like, yeah, let's do that. I've never written a short story, but let's <laughs> write a novel. So I, I did it. I tried to do it. And um, I chose a really, really hard way to do it. I, I chose interlocking diary entries from each of the three main girls. And it's a cool idea, but it's really tricky because each voice has to be so unique and every pro style has to be completely different. So I basically chose the hardest way to do it. <laughs> if I had chosen like a like a third person omniscient, I might've gotten this puppy sold. But in any case, I tried my best. I created a book proposal that was like 250 pages long with a glossary and all kinds of like book two, book three, book four, book five. And people, we sent it around. People universally were like, this idea is nuts. 
what happened to you where you dropped as a child? We also love it. But um, I did, we just couldn't find a publisher. And then I got busy with Claws and, and had my kind of rapid fire education in television, which was incredible. And then at a certain point, this great producer I worked with, Kevin Messick, called me and he's like, why don't we do it as a TV show? And I was like, why didn't we think of that like nine years ago? But, it, you know, it had its own time. And because I did all of that planning and work, as you were so kind to mention in terms of the world building, there was a lot of stuff to deal with. And it feels denser than a lot of screenplays. And when this started to go around town, the, the first question was, well, what book is it based on? And, uh, you know, there's an unpublished one sitting there ready to go. But uh, it's been a long term labor of love. This was a, a project that my manager often referred to as my psychotic project. <laughs> I just couldn't, couldn't let it go. And, and previously, I worked mostly kind of in dark comedy. So the whole spec fic, speculative fiction genre world was kind of new territory for me. But I just kind of let go and trusted the oomph behind the idea, which was always there. And it was that feeling you get sometimes as a writer where you feel like you're, you, the, there's something looking back at you from the abyss and kind of talking to you in, in terms of that blank page. And I don't know, it's been, it's been to be a little corny. It's been magical. You know what? I'd really love to see a comic book series of this. I think that would be... I was thinking that too. Graphic novels, right? You have to do it. You have to. I want to. Thank you for the vote of confidence. <laughs> I, I, I've been talking about that for the last couple of years. And I think it would just... Because the world is so spectacularly visual. Even in the early days of thinking about what this world felt like and looking at sort of military symbology and how it's like almost a cult. If you think about it, there's a lot of stars and pentagrams buried in there. And I don't know, I, w I would love to get into the, the, the rich visuals of the world and, and do a graphic novel. Oh yeah. It would suit it so well. Even, even the, the look and feel of the characters look very comic book. Like Sarah Alder, the jawline, yeah. the jawline itself and her biddies and everything. It's, it, it's so rich. It's amazing. It's rich. She almost looks like a statue. Right. She's, yeah. she's just sort of iconic in that way, which is such a testament to the brilliant Lynn Renee who, who brought Alder to life. I'm curious as far as sitting with these characters for, like you said, eight or nine years and then going through the casting process. I'm not sure how involved you were in the actual casting process, but to be able to see these characters finally come to life in such powerful ways. How does that feel? It feels incredible, and I'm going to invoke another cliche here with your permission, which is that the, the ladies who play the main three, the main three uh, girls in the show are very much their characters. I mean, not literally, but, you know, in terms of Rail, Taylor Hickson brings this gravity and this history in the sense that this person has been through a ton. Ashley, who plays Abigail, has this confidence that's so unimpeachable and she just has this like forward momentum in her or in her personality that is pure Abigail. And Jessica, who plays Tally, kind of is that exclamation point in her life. Like she's so full of wonder, so full of hope, so full of just curiosity. And, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's uncanny. And I was I was very involved in it. it was not a, it was not an easy search. It was really hard to land 
to land these people, but I feel like we did a really good job and I'm so lucky. Oh yeah. And also Demetria McKinney's drill sergeant oh. and Akasha, she's it's such a nuanced character to find someone to bring those subtleties to life is magical. Yes. Demetria is incredible. They're all incredible. Scylla played by Amalia Holm, but Demetria, I didn't even know this. She kind of grew up as an army brat. So she brings so much authenticity to Anacostia who's such as just a deeply complicated and rich character. We're going to see a lot of cool stuff from, from her. And then I was mentioning Amalia. I mean, she's just absolutely brilliant. And I remember we were talking about the spree because Amalia plays a spree operative. And she said, well, this reminds me of French Fanon, who I studied in school, who was like an anti-colonialist revolutionary. And she brought so much, everybody, everybody on the show, and this kind of goes for costume design and art direction and hair and makeup and production design. And everybody's kind of doing more than they usually do. And because of that, I think the show is just gorgeous and kind of looks better than it should. And I don't know. I'm very proud of it. Yeah. Let, well, let's talk a little about that look and feel and the set design and everything. Where was this whole thing constructed? It's up in Vancouver, and we have an incredible crew up there, a group of incredible creative people who, who made this show come to life. You know, with witchy shows, there's a tendency for, and no offense to, to these groups or ideas, but there's a tendency for it to drift into a kind of Wicca tarot card charm vibe. And that's a great vibe, but I knew I wanted this to feel really, really different. So it was about just nailing this really interesting new vibe around witchcraft, which was not easy, but was a lot of fun. I wanted to talk about one of my favorite things to talk about, which are props. There are some yes. amazing props and paintings. Oh, the oil paintings are oh insane. My oh my gosh. <laughs> when I saw the first painting, the, the Delaware one, I wept. I literally <laughs> I started crying because it was nine years of imagining these kinds of things. And then to be able to work with these gifted people who literally bring that stuff to life is so heavenly. For a nerd like me, it, just those paintings just break my heart. And oh, it's all so good. Did they let you keep anything? Yeah, a little bit, but we're gonna we're gonna see those again. So they're kind of part of, part yeah. of the world. I yeah, guess. part of the lore. Yeah, I love them dearly. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> so you've altered history and even geography in some very poignant and compelling ways on this show. What informed those decisions, and what kind of messages or discussions do you think these decisions can inspire? Well, in in terms of American geography, um, there is one really, really big difference in, in, in that there is a kind of massive unified Indian reservation called the Session, where many tribes live and, and where many tribes live. And this gift was given to this confederation of Native American tribes in exchange for the piece of magic that keeps Alder alive. So namely the sort of bitty magic whereby she's able to distribute her age among seven women. So this was a piece of magical technology the U.S. government acquired from these confederated tribes and in return gave them this massive swath of incredibly valuable land that borders the Mississippi and kind of divides the country into east and west. You also refrain from abusing the word magic on the show. It's referred to as work or combat training. What was the intent in staying away from that in the spirit of reinvention? Thank you for knowing that. Um, I, I do say magic when I talk about the show, but you're right. It never appears in the show because it feels like too frivolous a word. It felt a little light. 
for the kind of stuff that these ladies are learning how to do. Um, I, I like the term work because work is hard and magic should be hard. And I think if magic feels visceral and physical and hard, it feels a bit more real, which is always what I'm after. The supplemental artwork, the propaganda posters, the promo videos, the clips on social media, all this stuff in the real world is so amazing for the show. How important was it to make those things just as powerful and evocative? Kevin and I who are, have been so floored by the marketing for the show because they just ran with it in such a bold and creative way that we could have not asked for a better experience. We love the propaganda posters. We love the I Want You poster. It's just that they got it and embraced the what if in such a, a joyful way that it's been it's been really fun. And the money thing on Snapchat is so cool. And I don't know. I'm so tickled by all of it. I just wanted to ask what you've been watching since you've been like hunkered down like the rest of us. Like, is there anything like horror wise that you've been watching? Oh, I watched The Outsider. Oh, oh I loved yes. it. Yeah, I loved it. Boy, was it good. I mean, I have I have some things that I wish had been different about it, but, you know, you got to respect what they did. I think that is one of the creepiest bad guys. I mean, that makes Dracula look like the coolest dude, right? Like <laughs> that baddie over there really, really freaked me out. I really enjoyed that. Horror, horror. I love, I love Ari Aster. I watch Hereditary like once a year. Like it's, it's like my favorite thing. And I love Midsommar. I love The Lighthouse, which isn't really horror, but I love The Witch. Of course, I love The Witch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great um, I'm one. I'm just going on a horror babble now. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Oh, speaking of horror, I was kind of tickled to find out that the executive producers, being Will Ferrell, Adam McKay, and Kevin Messick, also worked on one of our favorites uh, that would be Tommy Wirko is amazing Hansel and Gretel oh. Witch Hunters back in 2013. I love that movie. That was such a such a singular movie in its in its vision and tone, and it was a lot of fun. So it's I think it's been fun for them to get back into witches, but in a totally new way. Yeah, no, I absolutely again, kudos to you guys for just bringing this delightfully original concept to life because it is just so fun and very immersive as a viewer to sit in and take it all in. Thank you so much. Well, I hope that's true, especially given the, the state of the world. I hope people can really kind of dive in and take a big bite out of it and, and bathe in the newness of it. Because if I have any hopes for the show, I just hope that it feels new. I can't wait. Awesome, Elliot. Well, wow. dude, thank you so much for joining us. And once again, congratulations on this wonderful achievement. Motherland Fort Salem premieres on Freeform this Wednesday. Thank you guys so much for this great interview. I really appreciate it. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 114. Special thanks to our guest, Elliot Lawrence. Follow at Motherland TV on Instagram, at Motherland on Twitter, and check it out on Freeform, premiering this Wednesday at time of release. Music for this episode provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying, stay safe, stay healthy, and sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! 